This morning, um, I want to focus on two words. I want you to have two words in your mind, and they are want and need. Um, There is, of course, a a, a nuanced difference between those two words, something that we often have to remind our kids when we're near an ice cream van, because sometimes they get confused what they want and what they need. Um, But I think, I suspect us as adults, we also sometimes struggle to tell the difference. And just to illustrate that, we're just going to play a little game, okay? So audience participation. Um, I'm going to list a bunch of things, and if you feel that they are something that we as humans need, you're to shout, need, okay? Whereas if you feel it's something that we're more likely to just, you know, want or desire, shout, want, okay? So we're going to start with an easy one, water. Perfect. Netflix. (laughs) That's supposed to be an easy one, guys. We do not... Sleep. Love, shelter, car, (laughs) okay, it's getting trickier, broadband, (laughs) oh dear, mobile phone, we've lost it, haven't we, coffee, (laughs) what about this one, chocolate, Okay. Maybe it's not as straightforward as we think, is it? Well, recently, um, I've been um, reading through this Bible reading plan. It's been taking me through the book of Exodus. And uh, I read a story in there recently that really um, struck me about about this whole thing. It's in in chapter 16 of Exodus, if you've got your Bibles. Um, And just to help you get your bearings of where we are at this point in the story, in the story of Exodus, you'll remember that at the start... The Israelite people are enslaved in Egypt um, until God intervenes and he sort of battles and he he triumphs over uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptian gods through these plagues. And then under the leadership of Moses, the Egyptian, so the Israelites take their flight. He literally parts the Red Sea for them. They walk free and they emerge the other side in chapter 15 singing this, um, this song of victory called the Song of the Sea. And in that, they, they, you know, it's like a climax. They're praising the Lord and they say, Yahweh, our Lord reigns. And interestingly, that's like the first place in the Bible, actually, where humans describe God as their king. Because it's a point where they, this nation recognizes that God, Yahweh, not, not the Pharaoh, not the Egyptian gods, not even Moses, is their king. So like chapter 15, euphoria. And we're going to go chapter 16, Four weeks later, four weeks of desert life later. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There, we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So the mood has changed. What's happened? Basically, they've got hangry. They, uh, the food supplies are running a bit low. They've forgotten, you know, they've forgotten that they were slaves. They've forgotten that they were living under the Egyptian whip, making bricks without straw. They've forgotten that God saved them, that their God reigns. They forgot the song of the sea. And yet, despite all of this, despite this kind of really quite self-centered indignance, we read that the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight, you will eat meat. And in the morning, you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, 
quail, the birds, quail, came and covered the camp so they had meat. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes um, on the ground appeared like frost uh, on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it's the bread the Lord has given you to eat. Now, as we all know, um, the birds, quail, quail, they often come through the Sinai Desert on the migratory journey between Sudan and Europe. Obviously, we all know that. So it seems that God kind of harnessed this natural occurrence. I was being ironic. We don't know that. There's probably like one person who knows that. But God kind of harnessed this natural occurrence to feed the Israelites. Um, but what is clear is that the scale of this provision um, is evidently miraculous because it's estimated that there were over 2 million of them in the Israelite camp. That's a lot of quail, right? Because they're not that big. And, all, and then there's this mysterious food. Um, they, call it, they, they end up calling it manna, which means what is it? They, they don't recognize what it is. It's described further down as this white, sweet substance about the size of a coriander seed. And obviously, over the years, people have often, you know, like tried to investigate: is there any kind of like naturally occurring food stuff that would, that you know, fit the bill here? Um, and so, for example, some there's these little bugs apparently that that secrete this white sweet stuff when they feed on tamarisk trees, which you find nearby. But frankly, whether it's a natural or a supernatural food stuff. That's not the point of this story here. What is going on is that there is just an astonishing miracle of provision. Because again, millions of people were fed with this stuff. And we read at the, at the bottom of the chapter that the Israelites, the Israelites ate manna for 40 years. God provided this stuff for them until they reached um, the promised land. And if you read the account of those 40 years, if you read on through, this really struck me recently, actually. If you, if you read on through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, and you read the story of those 40 years, and there's all these, you know, it's a real roller coaster. There's these ups and downs. There are times, there are days when the Israelites are obedient and faithful, but then there are days when they're just like disobedient, and they're grumbling, and they're rejecting God. And, you know, like there's this real low point where, where they literally, they, they reject God and they start worshipping an idol, a golden calf that they make. There's all these ups and downs. And the thing that struck me is that every day of that journey, like on the days that they were be, being obedient and the days that they were being disobedient, on the days even when they rejected God, even on that day where they worshipped the golden calf, they'd gone out that morning and collected this supernatural food that God had faithfully and graciously provided for them. You know, you think, sometimes when we read the Old Testament, I think we can think God is a bit stern, but actually just see how, how gracious he is, how patient he is with people, and how entitled they were. Every day the Lord gave them what they needed, but they took that for granted. They felt like they were entitled to that, and they were preoccupied with what they wanted. And of course, we need to um, be careful not to fall into this same trap. As believers, those of us who believe in Jesus, we know the Bible tells us that in Christ we have all we need. Jesus' friend Peter, he said, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. But there are times where despite the fact that we know that, we crave other stuff too besides that. You know, we, sing, we sang that song this morning, didn't we? You're all I want, you're all I've ever needed. And that's true, we mean it, but there are times where we also want other stuff. 
whether it's you know, material things or um, praise or security or comfort or whatever it might be. It's a bit like, you know, with food, you know, we know, we know the theory. We know in theory that we need vegetables, but sometimes we want the bacon as well, don't we? We want the other stuff. And I don't know what, you know, I won't spell it out. I don't know what your equivalent of bacon is for you, but we all know there's things in our lives that we just crave. And some of us, it is literally bacon. But, but we, we have this complicated relationship between what we need and what we want, don't we? So here's a question in all of this. Well, what does, what does God actually want? What does God want in all of this? And I think this story gives us a few little insights. First thing that I think is that it shows us that he wants, he desires that everybody should have enough. If we go back into the, into the story, um, just before God sends this manna down in the morning, um, he, he speaks through Moses, and they say, everyone is to gather as much as they need. And it continues, the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little, you know, depending on the size of their family or whatever. And it says, everyone gathered just as much as they needed. And then um, Moses said to them, this is interesting, no one is to keep any of it until morning. So I think basically what, what's happening is God, God promises every day there's going to be a fresh, miraculous provision of this food. And so, you know, just trust me, there is no need to keep any of it overnight or hoard it. Um, you don't need any more than you need. Um, so don't do that. Did they listen to him? Of course, they didn't listen to him. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until the morning, but it was full of maggots and it began to smell. Um, just as a little bit of an aside here, I have quite a sensitive gag reflex. You know, like if I ever reach into the bread bin and there's like some blue bread at the bottom of the packet, I basically have to go and have a shower. Um, so, so I just want to move through this part of the story. But I think essentially what is happening is that as, you know, at this point in history, as this tribe is becoming a nation, God is trying to teach them a, a principle that he wants them to live by. He desires them to be a people and a community where everybody has enough, everybody has all they need, but they live according to what they, what they really need as opposed to everything that they want. He wants them to live where there's this sense of fairness and justice in the community. And I think this is very much God's heart that we see Throughout the Bible, it's what God's kingdom is like. Um, in, the, in, the, in the law, the Israelite law that he gives them a little bit later, there are these whole sections prescribing how the community are to look after those who have less and protect the poor. And all these um, rules to ensure that the wealthy don't just keep on amassing wealth and power. And we see this heart as I say, throughout the Bible, ultimately, in, in the person of Jesus. When Jesus arrives, remember at the feeding of the 5,000, another miracle where a whole bunch of people get a load of supernatural bread, kind of reminiscent of this, we read that they all ate and were satisfied. And the, and the disciples, they each had a basket full of food for themselves when it was left over. And so I think it's clear that God desires that everyone should have what they need. But so often I think we see in, in humanity, and we see it a little bit in this Exodus story, that us humans, we struggle with that sometimes because we have this tendency to want that little bit more than we need. And so they hoard it overnight, like the infamous toilet roll hoarders of the pandemic, <laughs> you know. 
And this human trait to want that little bit more than we need is essentially the thing that drives our capitalist society along today. It's the thing that has us shopping for clothes when we've already got plenty of clothes in the wardrobe. It's the thing that has us ogling at shiny cars when our car still works perfectly fine. And I think there's a serious challenge for us as a community and as a people at this point in history because if the economists are right, then, you know, we are heading into a difficult period of time for who knows how long, years, definitely, where there is going to be, there will be many people who are in need, who won't have everything they need. The, you know, the gas, the electric, the cost of living. There'll be people in this city, there'll be people in this room who won't have all they need. And in fact, there are people who are in that place right now, as Debbie shared this morning. And so as we enter into this, this is a time where the people of God, where the church of God need to step into this moment. We need to actually, you know, practice what we preach in these next few years. We need to be people who seek to ensure that those who are around us who don't have enough, that we do all we can to make sure they do, just as God desires. Where those of us who have surplus share with those that don't. Now is the time to start, if we haven't already, to embrace simplicity, to consider, you know, do I need that thing Or do I just want it? Or to ask, not, you know, like what is, now I've got, what is the next thing on my wish list? What's the next thing I I want? But who around me is in need? Who who around me wants? Is there a person in my small group that I could offer, you know, for example, to just discreetly offer some, to give them some money each month if I felt like that would help them? Is there a charity that's close to my heart? Could I use some of my spare time to help out a Trent Compassion be part of the solution that way? Now's the time to step into this because God desires that everyone should have enough, even when we go through difficult times. Second point I think we see in this story is that I think it shows us that God wants, he desires that we should trust him, that we should trust him as our provider. Um, so, Again, back in the story, we saw that every day the fresh manna comes down. If they tried to keep it overnight, it went mouldy. But what's really interesting is that when it gets to the seventh day of the week, the Sabbath, um, on that day, God wants them to have a rest. So specifically on that day, he says, I want you to go out before the day before the Sabbath and collect, collect manna so that you'll have enough for two days. And he explains, on that night and that night only, um, you can keep it overnight and it won't go mouldy and um, that way you won't have to go out on the Sabbath collecting it. You can have a rest, okay? Um, and in fact, he says, don't go out on the Sabbath because there won't be any. Again, did they listen? Did they heck? Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they, surprise, surprise, found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? See, once again, I think God is trying to teach them a principle. He's trying to preach them, teach them a principle of, 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 of the trust dynamic that he wants in the relationship with them. He's, he's, he's trying to establish this kind of reciprocal relationship between him as their king and them as his people, where he's saying, you know, I, I will provide. It's my role to provide, and it's your role to trust and obey. And there's this reciprocal relationship between the two. And, and of course, when the people don't trust him, everything goes wrong, everything goes moldy. But when they do, they get to witness this miracle of provision. In the morning, you'll be filled with bread, and then you will know that I am the Lord your God. 
And I think there is something of this reciprocal dynamic that he wants for our relationship today. As we trust him to provide, our trust in him creates this backdrop against which he can demonstrate his faithfulness, his provision in incredible ways. And, you know, if we reflect back on our lives, I'm sure many of us, we can, we can think of times where he's done that, where he's just turned up out of the blue. Um, round at Trent Compassion in the Arches, they see this kind of thing all the time where, you know, they need some pots and pans and they, oh, there's, you know, a pots and pans delivery. Um, just this week, um, apparently, the, um, they were sharing that the furniture stocks, um, the beds and the sofas have got really low over the summer and they haven't been able to get out and collect as many donations in the van. So they needed beds, they needed sofas. So they gathered the team together in the morning and they prayed for deliveries. Now, just a little bit of um, like context with it is that on a typical morning, they'll get like one delivery, maybe two maximum, and they said it's nearly always a car with you know, a bootload of household goods, like some pots and pans or some bedding or whatever. Very rarely do they get people delivering furniture because it's so bulky. Well, that morning, they prayed, and within the hour, they'd had six deliveries. By lunchtime, they'd had nine, and we're not just talking pots and pans. There were vans turning up, sofas, beds, the lot. Love it. Or another, you know, a little story that I heard recently was um, last year, one of the guys who wanted to do the Zoe um, discipleship year, he wanted to do that, but obviously he needed some work to finance it. And uh, one of the team asked him, well, look, you know, if, if, what kind of work would you want, ideally? And he said, well, ideally, I would love to do an IT job, um, but I don't really know where to start in terms of looking for one. Well, within a day or possibly two days of that conversation, Ollie, the guy who oversees, uh, our pastor who oversees the Zoe, he received this email. Hi, Ollie. Some friends and I have set up a UK IT company, which is growing faster than expected. I wonder if any of your Zoe students or any of the other discipleship groups have ever considered a career in IT. So he said, no, I can't think of anyone. No, he didn't. He said, <laughs> he said yeah, this guy. And of course, he's got the job um, and he's still working there now. I would say um, for, for us, one of the ways that Abby and I, we've experienced this provision recent, in recent times is, is through our family home. Um, I think I've shared before that um, a few years ago, Abby felt as though God was sort of stirring us to, to, to move in with Abby's parents. Um, and so, you know, we, we prayed about it, all of us, and we, we all felt like it was the Lord. Um, so we, we, you know, put our houses on the market. But it was a really complicated, like, project. There were so many things to organize. We both had to sell our houses and we needed to kind of like time the sale of our houses so that it wasn't too far apart. We needed to find the right house, couldn't find one. We needed, then we really needed to extend somewhere. Um, but that was a complicated project. We didn't seem to have enough money. Um, we needed temporary accommodation, planning permission, all this kind of stuff. And I was just overwhelmed by the logistics and the spreadsheets. Um, but in the midst of it, I, I found myself one day just reading through Matthew and those words of Jesus where he just instructs us, commands us not to worry. Um, and I felt like he was just telling me, you need to trust me. And this picture came to my mind of, um, it was as though I'd been like trying to swim upstream, up a, up a river. And I felt like he was just telling me to like clamber onto one of those, you know, those like inflatable donut things that you get. He was like, just get on that and just go with my flow. Just trust me with this stuff. Um, and so I did. And... Um, I'm not saying the whole journey was effortless. I'm not going to pretend that. But it was incredible to just watch the way that he provided. Um, he, 
He provided us with temporary accommodation, just like out of the blue. Somebody just offered it that we weren't expecting. He guided us all towards the right house. The money was somehow enough. He even lined up the separate sales of our houses so that we, we had the same moving date, the same delivery guys. Um, I mean, anyone who can coordinate estate agents to do anything um, at the same time, it's like, that is a miracle, isn't it? And so I think he used this, this, this scenario to demonstrate to me and our family that he wanted us to trust so that we could see him provide. Now, of course, the risk with you know, telling all these stories like that is that I can end up, if I'm not careful, portraying God as some kind of like magical genie who you know, always does exactly what we want. And that would be unhelpful because this isn't a formula. God isn't some kind of like automatic vending machine. And of course, you know, some of you in the room today will be in a place where you are, you're longing for something right now um, that seems like it remains out of reach. And that can be painful because it isn't just as simple as trust equals get what you want every time. But the thing I'm trying to sort of, the picture I'm trying to paint is that when you look over time and you look at, you know, everybody, the whole, the whole of us, there is this pattern that we see in our lives and we see it in the Bible where God, you know, in his kingdom, he loves to respond to trust by providing. And sometimes we are on the receiving ends of that provision. Sometimes we just get the privilege of being the delivery guys as he, you know, he puts the resources in our hands to give to others. But I think all of these stories and these situations show us that he desires ultimately, and this is the last thing I want to say, he desires to be our ultimate provider. Now, of course, this story of the manna in the desert, it's a famous provision story, but it's not the only place in the Old Testament that talks about provision. It's everywhere. It's a theme. You know, and that even, you know, like Joe, Joe said, Jehovah Jireh, it means God who provides. It's one of the names we have for God. This theme of provision, it runs all the way through the Bible like an arrow, like an arrow piercing through the Bible straight all the way to Jesus, where we see it in its fullness. When Jesus arrives, he starts meeting people's needs everywhere he goes. He's healing the sick. He's setting people free. He feeds the multitudes with bread. And um, Susie's going to be talking about um, feeding the 5,000 next week, actually. Um, some people think that he is um, perhaps alluding to this story of the manna when he taught us to pray, give us today our daily bread. Um, and he certainly did, he certainly was talking about this story in, in John chapter 6. He specifically mentions the manna and this story before saying, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. See, Jesus, part of his mission, part of his coming was to show us that he is the God who provides all we need. He provides us with salvation and new life through laying down his own. In fact, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't just give us all we need. He is all we need. He embodies it. He personifies it. He is all we need. And as I've been reflecting on this story, it's got me thinking back through just the decades of my life. Um, you know, I've always, maybe you'd resonate with this, I've always had a you know, even in the years I've been following Jesus, I've had a wish list of stuff that I want, you know. And, um, and as a Christian, it's something that I've often felt a bit conflicted and almost guilty about. Like, you know, I know that I, I have all I need in Jesus, yet I always seem to want this other stuff too. I want things. Despite the fact that I know that, you know, even if I get that thing, it won't satisfy me. I'll be on to the next thing after that. 
And the thing that I'm coming to suspect that is that whilst I know that I, I don't ultimately need those things, I'm beginning to understand that, that, that I do need to want something. It's like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a desirous creature. I, I, I want. It's like I'm wired to want. And I'm increasingly convinced that that's the way God makes us. That's the way God makes us. He wants us to desire, but his concern is not about whether we desire, it's, it's what we desire. And the thing that he ultimately longs for us to desire, like the words of, um, of Psalm 42, he longs us to say, as the deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you. He wants us to want him. You know, it's a bit like, um, you know, um, if, using that bacon and veg- vegetable thing, if a person goes to the doctors um, and the doctor says, mate, you are ill. Well, they wouldn't say mate, would they? They'd say, sir or madam, you're really poorly, your cholesterol, whatever. You're going to have a heart attack if you don't stop eating bacon. Then suddenly we realize in a new way our eyes are open to what we actually need. And from that point on, what we want changes. We don't have to fight our desire for bacon in quite the same way because what we want is the veg now, isn't it? And the point I'm trying to make is that the more this realization sinks in that, that he is all we really need, the less we need to fight all the stuff we think we want because what we want begins to change. It begins to move towards him. And that, that, that change, understanding in that, growing in understanding, I think it is a bit of a lifelong journey that we wrestle with. Um, but I would say that for me personally, in the last few years, I think I've come to understand this more and more, particularly, you know, like I say, since that, that moment where I sort of clambered onto that inflatable donut metaphorically speaking, and stop trying to swim upstream and, and just started to go with his flow and trust him. Just go, I'm going to leave you, Lord, to decide whether this, that thing is something that I need or whether something is just I, I, I want. And um, as I've done that, I think I've learned that when you live that way, life is just, it's just more fruitful, but also it's just more doable. It's more fun. And as I've been sharing, you know, you might feel stirred by that. You might think, yes, I... I don't want to live my life orchestrated by this, you know, my Amazon wish list or the stuff, the next thing that I want. I don't want to just go through life chasing after the next thing until I get it and then moving on to the next. There might be something that you have been, you know, specific, that you have been pursuing, that you're wanting. It could be a, you know, a job, a relationship, something material. And you're thinking, yeah, I just, I want to lay that down. I want to leave it up to God to decide whether that's something I need or something I want. And the thing that I want to suggest is that if, if you feel that way and you want to do that for any you know, meaningful length of time with any meaningful effect, the first step is to discover or rediscover that he is the ultimate provider of our needs. And it's as we do that that we understand that you know, we reflect back and we think, yeah, the Bible tells us that it's, it's, he, he gives us all we need. He gives us life. He gives us salvation. He gives us, he provides through his, through his death. He, he finds a way for us to have new life. And it's as we reflect back on our own lives and go, yeah, he's always been there for me. He's always provided for me. And it's as we reflect on those things and spend time in his presence, only then do we begin to understand that, yes, he is what we need and he is what I want. As the church father Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. It's only that we realize he is what we need, that we come to understand 
He is what we want.